So, joining us right now is a name that always has a ring to me, Joe Tressa uh, from MLB.com. Uh, He's been covering the Orioles all season long. Joe, how are you? Dan, how you doing? I'm here with Craig Heist. Hey, what's up, Joe? Hey, hey, Craig, how are you? Good. So, so what do you think of the rumors? You spent some time down in Miami. Does the Bang Brother, does Bang Brothers uh, have a nice ring to it for the arena name down there? Uh, Stan, I can't possibly have less of an opinion about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it just doesn't exist. And, and uh, you're a better person for yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. You didn't fall into our trap. That's right. All right. Joe Tressa has been covering the Orioles. Joe, I know you read um, Astro Ball, uh, the book, the very fine book uh, on what happened in Houston with the Astros when they turned their team around from sort of where the Orioles are now to winning a World Series and being look, looking like a sustainably um, uh, viable team that's going to contend for a number of years. So nothing here really is much of a surprise to you, is it? Uh, well, that, that was definitely the first little bit of research I did when Michael Elias and Sid Meidel were, were brought over um, this offseason. You know, it's a, it's a pretty thorough and comprehensive um, telling of how they really piece by piece, decision by decision, um, pulled off the rebuild over there in Houston. And what I what I kind of see is the biggest difference really between how they did it there and how they're doing it now uh, is really the reception. If you remember when they started in Houston, there was a lot of blowback, there was a lot of pushback um, for a few reasons um, and based on a few of the decisions they made, not only really losing, playing for draft picks, um, but but the way that they kind of revamped the scouting operation, the way that they let some of the older employees go, um, the way they really corporatized a lot of their baseball decisions, um, it was it was something that kind of rocked the industry, and that um, that there was a lot of negative reception towards from the fan base there. Um, and from a lot of different avenues. You know, you're not really seeing all that in Baltimore, right? You kind of see a fan base that kind of said, well, it worked here, so we'll give it a chance here. Um, and they've been a lot more receptive to it since day one, and that's why I think that while it's been a trying season competitively on many levels um, and in many different ways, and there have been low moments that, and there have been embarrassing points, and there have um, you know, reasons to kind of uh, shake your head and turn the TV off. I think that there's been this level of understanding um, that um, a big portion of the fan base kind of, you know, gives gives them the benefit of the doubt, at least so far. Um, uh, and, yeah, um, now how long does that, you know, <laughs> goodwill kind of, Last, kind of, yeah, kind of remain a thing, you know. I think that remains to be seen, but um, as of this year, I kind of think that this is what a lot of people expected. Uh, I know it's hard to go back and and compare apples to apples or oranges to oranges. Do you think the Orioles actually have more in the cupboard for for where they are right now than the Astros did at the same point in time that Jeff Lunau was working there? Really tough to say, right, yeah. because you kind of don't know what the prospects are going to become. Um, 
What I will say is that what the Astros had at this point in time in terms of holdovers from the old regime Mm -hmm. uh, were position player prospects that uh, they kind of didn't know would blossom the way that they did. George Springer, Mm -hmm. Jose Altuve, some others. What the Orioles have um, are pitching prospects holdovers from the old regime, right? So that's, that's the one difference that I see. Now, do I, you know, do we know that if D.L. Hall or Grayson Rodriguez or Michael Bauman will grow into the impact players at the big league level that Jose Altuve and, and George Springer and some others did? No, we don't. And frankly, that's a really high bar to set for them. Um, but again, we're still kind of really early in this process. And, you know, it's possible. It's possible that that there are the players in the system that take off and um, were kind of overlooked and kind of um, make this rebuilding process easier, and that you uh, that that this new regime will be able to identify and then build around. I mean, you've felt, you've seen this year how it can happen with a guy like John Means, who nobody saw coming, correct, and who now seems like you know maybe not a Cy Young Award winner, but a a, a fixture in the rotation at least for next year. Um, and at least somebody who's going to be around for a while, um, somebody who can um, develop at the big league level, somebody who looks like they're going to get better, um, somebody that's not just a fill-in and a holdover. So uh, I think there are examples of those kind of guys up and down the roster. Um, but, it, you know, I think the bigger parallels are going to be the way that the front office makes decisions and the the places, the, the innovative places compared to the rest of the industry, they try to get to in certain spheres, right? Like, um, they're going to try to catch up in analytics with, and they already have. Um, they're going to try to catch up in player development uh, like they already have. Now, those were two areas where the Astros, were, when they were with Houston, they were ahead of the curve. I think the Orioles now see that it's kind of impossible to get ahead of the curve in those spaces because mm-hmm. the rest of the industry is trying to do the same thing. Yep. So my question is, what is the area where they're going to try to innovate and experiment and get to before everybody else? Well, now especially that... With, yeah, especially was, because there's not a lot to lose at the big league level right now. Right. And, but that's what I was going to say. If you, you're looking from it from that standpoint, most of the pitching in this farm system is at the lower end at this point. And in in talking to Mike, do you have any idea how they feel about their pitching in the lower ends and what they were able to accomplish this year? They they really like it, and they were pleasantly surprised. And the way that Mike Elias in the front office look at it is, okay, we have certain philosophies that we want to implement throughout the system. We have certain practices that we want to streamline throughout the system. And we want to create a player development pipeline that can not only train guys the same, train top prospects the same way, but churn them out, like make make mid-level and middling prospects better by using the same practices. And that kind of ties into some of the decisions that were made over the past few weeks in terms of letting some uh, older player development personnel go, kind of cleaning out the system of of holdovers from the old regime, and I think you're going to see this this winter, Mike Elias and Sig 
and Chris Holt bring in a lot of their own people mm-hmm. um, to fill in that system, not just because there's a new boss and they want to do things differently, but because they want to streamline the processes, these, these advanced kind of technology-driven player development processes throughout the system. They want it to be one cohesive voice, and they want to be able to get to the point where they can get on the cutting edge and get innovative um, in terms of things like wearable tech um, and and some of these more new age data driven player development practices that the Orioles really have not ever participated in before. So what when is, they look at their pitching prospects, they think, how can we use these guys to get there, and how can we use that stuff to get them better? You know, it's interesting. One of the things I observed, and I've probably talked to you about this, Joe, is when they they don't just identify the Astros, that is, and 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 the Orioles are obviously hoping to be the same. They don't just identify like sort of uh, dumb luck in their trades. Like, hey, Justin Verlander's been a great pitcher his whole career. They they acquired Justin Verlander and have an idea how to make him better. Garrett Cole struck out eight guys per nine innings in Pittsburgh. Struck out twelve per nine his first year in Houston. Ryan Presley went from being a useful arm to being a very good high-leverage relief pitcher. Do they feel that – I mean, I guess I'm asking if you feel – do you feel that the uh, inordinate success that they had at the minor league level with pitching is almost reflective of, of their work? The Astros did something similar with Aaron Sanchez, too, to the yeah. point now where they've become so famous for – being able to revitalize pitchers' career, careers at the big league level, that if you remember before the trade line, the before the trade deadline this summer, you had many media outlets reporting that the Astros should go trade for Aaron Sanchez because he's right. the kind of guy that they have had success in in making better again or in in turning around their career at the big league level. Now they haven't had similar, they haven't had the same kind of success in the minor leagues in terms of their pitching, which I think is a distinction. Um, they've, they've really like turned a lot of heads because they've been able to do it at the big league level with guys who were once great, then fell off, and then they were able to tailor specific plans mm-hmm. that, they, that they were able to make them better with. Now, is there, is there a possibility, is there a sense that like, um, is is there the the desire to personalize scouting reports and personalize training the same way in the minor leagues with the Orioles? I I think so. Like I think I, the, my question really was whether you think some of the great success that Oriole minor league pitching had at Delmarva and Bowie was related to this new regime instituting and Chris Holt some new method methodology. Yeah, I I do think they deserve some credit for that. Okay, yeah, I don't that was I don't think it's a coincidence that that those things happened this year, especially at Double A, um, where you saw a lot of those <clears throat> of those guys miss a lot more bats than they used to. A lot of them without the typical or what you might call strikeout type stuff. Um, and if you saw throughout the system, strikeouts were way up, walks were way down, um, and what was really emphasized more in, in, than in years past, from my understanding, is the importance of spinning the baseball, the importance of um, really using your breaking ball, the importance of um, kind of personalizing breaking balls 
to each pitcher. Um, you know, for some, it, there there is you know there, there are some systems and some philosophies that basically say a slider is better than a curve, or a curve is better than a slider throughout the system. Uh, the way the Orioles are teaching it is kind of let's see which one you can spin better. Let's see which one um, plays better out of your hand. Let's see if maybe a hybrid pitch uh, works better with your arm angle, uh, with your wrist action, with your velocity. Uh, if you um, if you go back just a few few days ago, and John Means uh, pitched against the Dodgers, he had one of the better outings of, his, of the year. Mm-hmm. And he threw this hybrid breaking ball for the first time. It wasn't a slider. It wasn't a curve. It was harder than his normal curveball, slower than his normal slider, had more sweeping action, more depth to it. And he had never thrown the pitch before in the major leagues. It's essentially a hybrid slurve. And if you look mm-hmm. at the Rays and the Astros and all these really advanced data-driven teams, the use of these hybrid breaking balls have just has just exploded this season. And it's kind of a new data-driven trend, whereas... And nobody on the Orioles has really done it except John Means this year. And what ended up happening was that he had one of his best outings against the best lineup in the National League. And that's not an accident, right? That's not um, an accident that that happens right now with that pitcher um, in this setting. So I think you're going to see more of that. And I I think that um, a lot of the success down on the farm can, yeah, be, be contributed to some different philosophies, some new practices, um, and some pitchers realizing their potential because of some different methodology. All right, I know Craig's got one more for you, and then I got one more for you. Go ahead, Craig. Real quick, uh, off of the, uh, the the minor leagues and things of that nature, but when we talk about uh, Mike Elias running this show right now, and we know what Brandon Hyde thought about this the other night, while he didn't necessarily throw him right under the bus, you could tell he wasn't real pleased with it. And that was Dylan Bundy. And the inability that he did not uh, the fact he display that he plate. didn't cover home plate when two of those runs scored on the pass ball, they could not have been happy with that. Well, what I remember is that Brandon Hyde actually kind of covered for Bundy on that. Yeah, that's how you say. And he didn't throw him under the bus. No, he didn't. And I think you know his answer, I, I, if I remember correctly, he said something like, I think Dylan was just stunned. Um, by what happened, and yeah, he also thought he also said Dylan thought it was a foul ball, which later Bundy clarified said he did not. But I think the stun comment kind of speaks to um, the fact that Hyde was a little less concerned with the way Dylan didn't cover home, and just more kind of overwhelmed with how sometimes these innings tend to snowball on the Orioles from a team yeah. perspective, yeah, right? Like the blue pit, the missed cutoff man. The error at third base. Uh, Dylan Bundy made enough pitches that inning to get five outs. Yeah. You know, he got two. Right. So I think Hyde kind of looked at it as maybe let's give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because I've never seen what just happened happen on a baseball field. And Bundy made some really good pitches in tough weather conditions against a great team in big spots. And he was asked to do a lot. Those are good. Those are great points. Joe, those are great points. But I'm wondering if Bundy doesn't bring some of that on himself by his – it's just – I'm not saying he's an elitist that he thinks he's better. It just seems like he's not enjoying pitching for the Baltimore Orioles. And I can certainly relate to why – 
But I think that I, I'm not going to be shocked if somehow he's not packaged in a deal this year. Well, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I, what, I, what I do think from just getting to know him a little bit this year is yep. that he's never going to say that. He's not that kind of guy. Yep. Um, you know, he didn't throw anybody under the bus the other night. He's the kind of guy who, who shoulders all that blame on himself, and he kind of takes the blows, and he's, he's a team guy, really, okay. um, in, in every sense yep. of the word. You know, is he? Can he be thrilled in this situation? Probably not. Yep. Um, because of the defense behind him, because of the the league worst bullpen behind him, uh, he's been extended all year. He's been pitching into bad luck. He's his numbers are way worse than they should be. Um, I wrote a story that 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 night after that happened, and you know, all of his numbers are inflated from his ERA to his advanced metrics to his underlying stats. It's like if this guy was in a different situation on a better team in a different ballpark, he would look like a different pitcher. All now, right. is he elite? Is he an all-star? Probably not, but he looks better than what he's been, been doing this year. And the fact is, that frustration, you can find it throughout the Orioles' clubhouse, especially with guys who have been around for a little yeah. bit. It's not easy to do this on a night-to-night basis, especially when things unravel in such fundamentally poor fashion. I'm going to save my question for some time when we chat during the off-season. I uh, appreciate it, Joe. Great, great insights as always, and I uh, really have enjoyed uh, getting to know you this year and the work you've done here in Baltimore. Likewise, Stan. Thanks right. for having me, Talk guys. Talk to you soon. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye.